instructed by my good friend, Larry Edwards. Raise your hand, Larry. And we designed it to bring forth a messianic perspective. What does that mean, messianic perspective? Well, because we're a messianic congregation, we just figured we'd throw that in. If we would have been some other group, we would have said, hey, another groups. No, that's not what we thought of. The reason <clears throat> we looked at it from a perspective, messianic perspective, is because that's what it is. It's a book written specifically to Jews living in Judea. Not only written to Jews, but they were Jews of the first century, and they were believers in Yeshua. It was written around 64 Common Era, just before the destruction, 770 Common Era. I, I thought the book is a great source of understanding of what, tap, what was happening in the Messianic community during the first or the mid-first century. The class included a syllabus and a donation for $10 by the class members to Tikvot Building Fund, which Larry was so graciously provided at no cost to the congregation but were donated to the congregation. And those people that did support it, we put money into the building front here in Tikvah. So guess what? We have many syllabus left over. And we decided to give them again to Tikvah in the bookstore for a love offering of any amount. And you give the love offering, put it in these little envelopes by the boxes, and you just put in the building fund, put in there what it is. You don't need to tell us what you've given it for, but you just put the amount on there and send it in there, and you can purchase the, uh, the syllabus. See, Larry, the reason I tapped Larry's information is because Larry has a PhD from the Assemblies of God Church, and I thought he would know a little bit about what was going on in the scriptures. But, you know, I also have a Ph.D., and that's from running the streets of New York. So I figured between the two of us, with my living experience and his educational experience, we would be able to carry it a little bit further than what we've been, what's taken place before. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate that. We who had the pleasure of participating in the class felt the information included would be useful to the rest of the congregation for spiritual nurture and growth. I've always enjoyed the book of Hebrews, but could never really grasp the fullness of what was being said until me and Larry got together and started discussing what the subject matter was and what was the book trying to say. And that was a great revelation for me because I was understanding and getting an understanding of what a book that I loved uh, was opening up to me. Now the bullet, the syllabus that uh, will be offered to you if you decide to purchase one is a, uh, was put together by Larry and is sort of like a commentary more than a um, sort of word by word. 
He has taken his concept, the concepts that he has perfected over the years in his research of the book and, they, and, and, and he has placed it in the syllabus that we have. As he studied, Larry, Larry noticed that there are five parenthetical warnings to the readers of the body of Messiah of the book they should adhere to. In other words, to the Messianic community at that time. Cautioning them the grave decision they were about to make. The decision was of such bad proportions that it would create a situation that was irreversible for themselves. You hear that? These decisions that they were considering, considering this group in Judea would, would require them, if they made this decision, it would be irreversible. These Jewish believers were undergoing tremendous persecution. And because of this persecution, they were seriously thinking of returning to Judaism and setting aside their salvation until the persecution subsided, setting aside the salvation that Yeshua provided for them. Once the persecution ceased, they thought, they could return and be saved again, which was not available as the writer has expressed to them. Salvation is for once. Judgment is the consequence of our decisions of returning away from salvation. Salvation is once. Judgment is our consequence to us when we turn away from that salvation. I hope my talk will inspire some of you. Take a closer look at what was written, written in the syllabus and study the book for yourselves. I think you'll enjoy it. I will only be sharing of one parenthetical warning, hoping to generate some interest. But I'd like to read an article before I get there, give you a background of what was taking place at that time. In the year 66, Florus, the last Roman procurator, stole vast quantities of silver from the temple. Now I know the book, this Hebrews book was written in 64, but there's a lot of stuff that was leading up to this 66, common era, 66 AD. There was a lot of stuff that was going on leading up to it, and that's what's going to be covered in here. The outraged Jewish masses rioted and wiped out a small Roman garrison stationed in Jerusalem. Sestus Gallius, the Roman ruler in neighboring Syria, sent in a large force of soldiers, but the Jewish insurgents routed them as well. This was a heartening victory that had terrible consequences. Many Jews suddenly became convinced that they could defeat Rome, and the zealots' ranks grew geometrically. Never again, however, did the Jews achieve so decisive victory. They launched their first attack against the Jewish state, the most radicalized area, which was the Galilee area in the north. The Romans vanquished, oh, excuse me, when the Romans returned, they had 60,000 heavily armed, highly professional troops from Syria that came down. They launched their first attack on the Jews that were residing in Galilee. The Romans vanquished Galilee and estimated 
100,000 Jews were killed or sold into slavery. Throughout the Roman conquest of this territory, the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem did almost nothing to help their beleaguered brothers. They apparently had concluded too late. Unfortunately, that revolt could not be won and wanted to hold down Jewish deaths as much as possible. In the highly embittered, the highly embittered refugees who succeeded in escaping from the Galilean massacres fled to the last major Jewish stronghold, which was Jerusalem. There they killed anyone in the Jewish leadership who was not a radical as them. These are the zealots that had left Galilee and had come. They killed anyone who did not follow their ideology of, of uh, destruction and uh, revolution. Thus, all the more moderate Jew, Jewish leaders who headed the Jewish government at the revolt's beginning in 66 were dead by 68. And not one died at the hands of the Romans. All were killed by following fellow Jews. Now, you have to remember the group of Messianic Jews that we're talking about here did not recognized or they did not see Yeshua teach directly, but they were taught by those apostles who did, who were witnesses of his resurrection, and they taught the people. Now, in Mark 13, 14, it says, <clears throat> it says here, Mark 13, 14, imagine, hold on, I'm going to read, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel, you are to leave Judea and flee to the mountain. In other words, what these people were experiencing was what Messiah had said back in Matthew and Mark, that when the Romans surround the city and the attacks start to come from the Romans, you, the believers, are to flee. Otherwise, you will perish along with the Jews. There was one point something million Jews that perished from the Roman revolt. And I believe the Messianic community moved and went to Petra where they were saved. The overview that I'd like to share with you about the warnings of what was dictated to, in the book begins, number one, the danger of drifting away. This is from chapter two, verses one and four. These are the things we heard. We let them slip away. Danger of disobedience, chapters 3, verse 7 through chapter 4, verse 13. This is gives a description of Kadesh Barnea, what took place there. If you remember in, in Numbers 14, I think it is, the problem in Kadesh Barnea was that their people were complaining. And they complained so that they were ready to attack and stone Aaron and Moses. And God intervened, and he gave them what they wanted, in food and water. And then he said to them, this generation shall not enter into my rest. And so they ended up wandering for 40 years. That's what, the, that's what 
the writer here of Hebrews is talking about in this chapter. The danger of disobedience. The danger of failing to progress to maturity, and that's what we will be speaking of. And that's chapters 511 through 620. Danger of willful sin. That's chapter uh, 10, verses 26 through 31. This may bring judgment upon you if you do not follow. Warning against indifference. Chapters 12, 25 through 29. Refusing him that was from heaven. Now you can go on and read these when you get your syllabus. But the warning that I am going to be speaking about this morning is the failure of, to progress to maturity. Robert, would you bring the verses up? <clears throat> We're going to look at <clears throat> Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. Of, home, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have become need in milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only in milk is unskillful and in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Prior to this chapter, the context from chapter 1 and, and prior to this, the chapters were talking about the preeminence of Messiah Yeshua as being the Son of God. They were de the, the chapters were dealing with his superiority over angels, Moses, and the Aaron, the Levitical priesthood. The first part of this chapter, 5, deals with Yeshua priesthood being a priesthood that is according to a Melchizedek order, a priest of the Most High mentioned in Gen Genesis uh, 14 and also in Psalm 110, verse 4. All four of these verses that are listed up there carry a specific obligation of understanding and responsibility of revelation given as all of us have to do. We are caretakers of his word. If we look at verse 11, of whom we have much to say, this is speaking of Yeshua's position as a high priest, as stated in verse 10, and I quote, being called to God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews feels that these believers cannot handle the truth of the revelation given that Yeshua is a high priest according to the revelation given in the book of Genesis and Psalms concerning the order of of Melchizedek. In other words, at this point, the temple was still standing, the sacrificial system was still in order, right? And they still had a high priest sitting in the temple. What the writer of Hebrews is telling them that truly the one who's sitting at the temple is not the true high priest, it's the one seated in the heavens, in the temple of God, who is the high priest. That's meat, not milk. Couldn't handle. The writer deals with the fact 
of stagnation and spells out specific spiritual problems these believers have, which is dull of hearing, feeding on with milk, feeding on milk instead of meat. They have not used what they have been taught in the how of making decisions based on discernment of good and evil, as it says in verse 14. Our decisions are always based on upon what we may appear to be good versus what best. When we make decisions, we go before the Father, before the Father and we say, Father, is this a good decision or is this the best? Because the enemy deals in good, God deals in the best. And that's what he wanted for these believers. He wanted to save their lives. You see, these believers that not use what they have been taught in the how of making good decisions. The believers were contemplating for going, following Yeshua, and return back to Judaism as they knew it. Thinking they can put Yeshua aside and return to following him later, a decision of discernment of good or best. In other words, the Levitical system was good, but it wasn't best. Yeshua is best, and they had the best. They're thinking of returning back to what's good. Verse 11, these believers have become, number one, dull of hearing. Number two, and that, when we look at and we research that, it's lack of self-motivation. No push. It's laziness. They're satisfied with milk. They don't want to be filled with anything else. And they were sluggish, which is slothful. In Proverbs 15, 19, you don't need to put it up, Rob. I got it here. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns. And when you have a hedge of thorns, those of you that have hedges is in front of their house. You get pinched, and in many instances, you can't get through. So he says here, the way of a lazy man is difficult. But the way of an upright is a highway. In other words, may be able, a highway that's made be able to see long distances and travel clearly. And that's what Hashem wants each and every one of us. To see clearly to see clearly of where you're, we are going. Their laziness made a difficult move unto the teaching of comparing Yeshua's priesthood of Melchizedek and the position that Yeshua holds now as the eternal priest seated in heaven serving the heavenly temple. Which one would you rather be serving? I'd rather be serving the priest that is in heaven serving the heavenly temple. Verse 12, by the time you ought to be teachers, these were not believers. They have been saved for a while. You need once again to be taught the first principles of the oracles of God, the ABCs of divine revelation, which is called milk. They should have been progressing further. They have been around for a while. They were looking at circumstances around them and became fearful and stopped moving in the direction 
that God had wanted them to do. The thorns of life pricked them so that they stood still and would not grow. It is, it is important to grasp the foundation of our faith, and every believer should grasp that foundation. Every believer should understand what it means to repentance from good works, which we are saved by grace, as it says in Ephesians. Faith toward God, because without faith it is impossible to please God. Immersion of the baptism or mikvah is the, is the perfect purpose of cleanliness and those who, who know Yeshua to proclaim him as Lord. And then the next one is the laying on of hands, the healing, which we do here during the time of Mishabaric prayer. And it's also used for this mika, the ordination of an elder or a minister. We all should understand the resurrection of the dead. And that's always getting up. <clears throat> resurrection of the dead being able to understand who is getting up and at what time they are getting up. Because the believer gets up for rewards, the unbeliever gets up for judgment. And then, here it is, number six is eternal judgment, which all believers shall have to face. These are the basic principles that every believer should be able to teach to some degree, but these believers were still in need of being taught. They became stagnant. Not every believer has the gift of teaching. We all don't have the gift of teaching like I am. I'm just kidding. Kidding, laugh. <laughs> you don't know how much I struggle. Sandy says, you know, comes in the office and says, what are all these papers doing all over the place? I wrote this. And, ah, that's not good. I, ah, that's not good. I just keep throwing them up in the air. But then finally, you turn around and you say, Lord, help me. I can't do it without you. And then it begins to flow, and you'll be able to put it together. Not every believer has that gift of teaching. David Wine does. Jamie Cowan does. Michael, uh, David Rudolph. But every believer should be able to explain what they believe and why. Don't you agree? Shouldn't every believer be able to explain what they believe and why? I think they should. Verse 13, Rob, leave it up. Verse 13 says, those who only partake of milk are unskilled in the word of righteousness. Righteousness in the Hebrew is etic. It means to be just, to be right, to be cleansed. And in the Greek is vicarious. Innocent, holy, meet, or fitting and proper. So what we have listed here are six things. You and me are just before God. We have shared morality. We are moral before God. We are cleansed before God. We are innocent before God. We are made holy because of God. And we are fitting of the properness of all that God's made available. That's what we have in righteousness. We stand before a living God, righteous before him, not based on your accomplishments and your works, 
but on his grace and his mercy to every believer. So when the word says that they were unskilled in the word of righteousness, they were not applying what God had made available to them. That's a serious problem. That's called religion. When you just go through the motions. We as believers need to see ourselves as God sees us. He sees us perfect in Messiah. Does he see, is Robert perfect? Oh, no. Hang around me for a little while. Ask Sandy, how's your husband? Crazy. I'll tell you, he's crazy. He jumps off the handle and, give me that. <laughs> but as long as believers fail to recognize their standing in God and having difficulty applying the word of righteousness, they will remain as babes unskinful, unskillful in their standing of being right when their decisions are based on prayerful seeking of the will of God. Because it says in James, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If we continue to flip back and forth, we need to have a, a focus on God Proclaiming our righteousness. We, are, we go to your word, God. We stand before you. We go before your people because not in my own perfection, but in the perfection of Messiah Yeshua. He has made me perfect. And I will make mistakes. And you think if you're not going to make mistakes in your walk, you will make mistakes. Aubrey just became fit. She will make mistakes. She made mistakes. All of us. We all make mistakes. The time that we stop making mistakes is the time that we die and we're resurrected and we stand before the Lord and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. The old phrase works here. Use it or lose it. If you don't do, use what you're taught, you're unskillful. These believers knew Yeshua was the final sacrifice for sin and yet they thought there was nothing wrong with returning to the old Levitical system of animal sacrifice for our substitution. Remember, they were still performing this during this time of the book of Hebrews. This was still being performed. And they, they thought because of the pressure, it'd be easier to go there. You just show up, you got a calf, kill the calf, I'm good, I'm clean, and then go forth from there. Their problem was lack of knowledge. Well, their problem was not lack of, lack of knowledge, but lack of exercising their, their knowledge in real life situations. Persecutions are always going to happen. You are going to be persecuted by your own brothers and sisters, whether they're earthly or whether they're spiritual. We are going to receive persecution. But Yeshua said, don't worry for I have overcome all persecution. They first persecuted him, and therefore they're going to persecute you. They lacked that. They knew that. They lacked that knowledge, the application of it. They were feeling pressure from the zealots to fight, yet Yeshua told them, don't do that. Flee to Judea. They were pressured from the Jewish community to return to Judaism and be aligned with them. Come on, guys, give up on this guy, Yeshua. He's gone. He's no longer around. 
You're feeling the pressure from every angle, from the Romans, from the Zealots, from the Pharisees, from the Sadducees, from the community. They were pressured to go back and apply the understanding of Judaism, which deals with angels, authority of Moses, and the daily sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood. Coming to a close. In Hebrews 14, I mean chapter 5, verse 14, is, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In this verse, the writer spells out what maturity means. A mature believer has unrestricted, unrestricted diet and can partake of solid food. He's studying and applying what he is learning. He's one of full age, which is the goal, <clears throat> to become spiritually full of all that God's made available, of all that God's made available, to walk alongside with him. A believer has to attain the goal of spiritual life because by applying what he knew, therefore he's open more for more learning. He's ready to receive more of all that God has made available. That is, <clears throat> those by reason of use or practice, they have senses, their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The difference between what's good and what's best. To make responsible decisions and making proper use of what they no, that is progressing to maturity. Now, I'm not going to finish the thought, what the writer was expressing, because in the next chapter of 6, chapter 6 in Hebrews, he goes into further detail. But there is a point I would like to make to our congregation this morning concerning being dull of hearing. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 18, and I quote, Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Now, you look around. I got a leak there. We 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 got walls that are leaking. But I don't think that's what it's talking about. Well, what I think. I think it's the emptiness of these pews. That's what I think it is. We're leaking, folks. What do I mean by that? We have become sluggish in our mandate of what Messiah Yeshua has given us. We become dull of hearing. Matthew 28, 18, and you're all familiar with it, says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them, here it is again, to observe all things that I have commanded. Why? Because Yeshua has all authority. You can speak to anyone at any time in the authority that Messiah has given you because he has authority, authority over all. To go is an action verb. It means to take a step forward. 
To make disciples means a follower of Yeshua, immersing them in all that's available, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Spirit, excuse me. Getting them to understand the love that the Father has for them, the sacrifice that the Messiah has for them, and uh, what the Holy Spirit can lead as he leads them. Teach them to observe all his commandments. And he says, I give you a new commandment, Yeshua said in John 17. And he said that new commandment is to love one another. It wasn't, that's, new, that's not a new commandment because it says, we say it every day, love your neighbor as yourself, Deuteronomy 6. So what did he mean by that? What he meant by that in the quantity and the quality of the love that you have for each person and for each other. That's what should be shown. That's what he's called us to do. To, to a dying world, love them. A good friend of mine said to me one time, stop trying to fix everybody. Your responsibility is to love them. And that's true. That's true. Our responsibility is to love the unlovable, to love him. Now, I want to throw out something for everybody in our congregation. If we will pray and ask the Lord to introduce us and to bring us to someone who has never heard the gospel and that each one of us will commit to keeping our heads open and our eyes being trained to look for those that we can speak to and turn them from darkness unto light. I believe that the, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will fill these pews. We cannot become dull of hearing and stagnant in our work and what we are called to do. The music, the dance, you know, the Torah and, and, and reading of the Torah, these are all good things. But that's not the goal. That's just a little bit of what God has available. The goal is to reach someone. Each one reach one. And all we have to really do, folks, is ask him to lead us because he has authority over all the earth. And he will lead you via his ruach. He will lead you to that person. So if you don't mind, and I'm including myself, please, in your prayer time, say, Lord, lead me to someone who needs you. Who needs you, Lord? And let me be able to share my heart and my life and my understanding so I, too, will not be stagnant and dull of hearing, but I will be progressing to maturity. Amen? Thank you, Lord, and we appreciate all that you do and for your word, dear Lord, and I thank you for these good people. This Shabbat, dear Lord. May we honor you. May we go forth as messengers from you, ambassadors for him that died, that we may change the world that we're responsible for, and that's Richmond, Virginia. Some of them us live in Powhatan. Some of us live in Charlottesville. But wherever we are, that's the locality that we are responsible for. I bless you and I thank you. And I shall be sure.